Welcome to the Art of Living Proactively. Today, episode 234 is with Jodie Clarestonfeld. And we discuss her organisation Flourish, which provides support and resources for parents of premature babies and NICU graduates. After her own traumatic experience of having her daughter born 12 weeks early, Jodie recognised the lack of community and information for parents going through that. And through her company Flourish, she provides peer support groups, expert advice and practical guidance to help parents navigate their children's medical needs and developmental delays. And she advocates for securing necessary therapies and tailored education so these children can flourish. And she stresses about being proactive, thinking ahead, asking questions, and putting kids in the best position to thrive at each stage. And so she shares her experience, how it made her view challenges as opportunities for growth and renewal, and many other things. So that's all coming up in today, episode 234 with Jodie Clarestonfield. If you do like the episode, please do share it with anyone who you feel will get some value from it. Why not subscribe and hope you enjoy the show. So welcome to another edition of The Art of Living Proactively. My guest today, Jodie Clarestonfeld. And I said that right, did I? Yes. <laughs> and Jodie is the founder of Flourish. So how are you, how are you Jodie? I'm doing well today. Thanks, Tony. How are you? I'm doing well. And I, I'm guessing that anyone listening now is thinking, hmm, what's Flourish? Flourish is a platform for preemie and NICU parents. Uh, we support, educate, and empower parents on their parenting journey because it's much different and much more challenging, especially at the outset, um, when their children are born early or have NICU stays. And there are just a whole host of other increments or appointments and other challenges related to that. And I sought to create a platform where people could go and feel supported. And this came about, what well, was a personal experience for you, wasn't it? Yes. My daughter was born 12 weeks early. She is four years old now. And my husband and I were kind of thrown into the deep end of a pool without knowing how to swim or having a life jacket, if you will, um, in terms of becoming a medical parent, understanding terminology. And she was born as a complete surprise. We had no warning that she was coming so early. And so what was it that, say, I, I get it, gather you had like a bad experience. And so how have you helped others to have a, a better experience? I wouldn't say that I had a bad experience. I, I think my daughter was extremely well taken care of okay. and the doctors and nurses um, should be applauded for the work that they do on a 24 seven basis because they allow parents to leave their child in the hospital on a daily basis when they really don't want to. Right. So because of their care and their love towards my daughter, you know, and that made that more possible. What caused me to create Flourish was the fact that my husband and I felt so unsupported. Right, okay. Our daughter is the patient, we were not the patients. Right. And so 
the support that we needed or the resources that we needed or the sense of community that we needed and what we were going to need. Also, once our daughter first came home, we had none of that. Right. And we didn't know where to go. I always say, well, where are parents supposed to go to talk to someone about this experience that is quite common in the United States insofar as that it's 10% of babies per year, which is the the biggest amount of any first world country in the world. So there's a lot of us, but there's, I don't want to say a gap in the marketplace, but there is a gap when it comes to supporting parents and telling them what their needs will probably be or when they have this experience. What kind of support was it that you would would have helped you in that situation and that you are now able to give help with other people? I think at first, the most important thing is letting the parents know they are not alone on this journey. It's extremely isolating and lonely and scary going through such an experience when your child is hooked up to machines, bells and whistles, and when your birth story is atypical and not what you expect. I would have loved to have been able to find a community or be able to talk to someone other than a Facebook group. I'm talking about like a real chat, a real conversation with someone and or a a group of people as well. And I would have loved to have heard some success stories. Oh, this is going to be hard. It is going to be a long road. However, it's beautiful and rewarding. But, you know, these are some of the steps. And you will get there. It just takes you a little bit longer. So now that you've set up Flourish and so you're helping others in a situation you face, now how, if someone faces that situation, I'm guessing 90% of the time, maybe 100%, it's a total surprise. So how will they find out about Flourish? So therein lies, I'll say the problem or the issue is that I, right now, everything is by word of mouth and I'm trying to spread the word as much as I can through brand awareness, being on podcasts such as your own, writing articles and being on panels and things of that nature. And I'm also actively working to get into some hospital systems. The issue, at least in this country, is that who is going to pay for the service? And our hospitals are not windfalls of money where they can just supply things. Often they are billed through insurance companies. So I'm trying to figure out that whole system of getting at least the mental health piece of it um, supported by insurance companies because Mental health is a huge, huge problem that affects and pervades all aspects of your life. Mm -hmm. And if you can help parents from the get-go realize that this is not their fault, they're not alone, and there are so many things you can do to help your child along the way, and there's no stigma in having your child 
get extra love and support through the help of others, Mm -hmm. that I think that helps parents that much sooner and therefore they are less susceptible to their own depression and own mental illness. So you've mentioned it's difficult for parents to find out about about you when they're in that situation. So have there been any parents who have gone through that and managed to find out about you? And how did they find out? Yes, um, I have been fortunate to partner with some organizations and um, put some flyers in their, I don't even call them gift bags, but bags that you get when you give birth. And there are a couple of different things. Um, in there when you're, you give birth early. So I have managed to get flyers in a bunch of those. And I have also done some pilot programs with some hospitals to at least host round table discussions right. so that people are aware of me in that respect. And I wonder if, because there's a lot of similarities between US and England, and obviously there's many differences as well. But one thing, I don't know if you have this in the US, we have, um, and I'm going to forget the acronym now, it's either NTC or N- N- NTC or NCT, I forget which one it is. Mm-hmm. But for prospective parents, you kind of go, if you want to, you can go through this sort of training period for a few weeks leading up to the birth and you find out all sorts of information which is really useful after the birth. And something like what you're doing would be really useful for for them to let parents know in that sort of course. Do you, is there anything similar in the States? There is, except it's not, I don't know if it's a required kind of thing in no, It's in, not required. In it's, it's opt-in, yeah. Yeah, sa- same here. Right. Um, but I'll use myself as an example. I was going to take one of those courses. Oh, it was too early. Two, yes, but I didn't take it. I, I had right. scheduled it two weeks later. Wow. So, um, you know, I think it depends when people are taking those courses. Yeah. And I, I have contacted some of the um, some people I know that do um, some wide scale courses, and we are in talks to add information if you do go into labor early or if you do have your child early. Because yeah. um, some people do go into labor early. I did it, but some people do. Um, or if you're having multiples, right? The chances of them being born early is much greater. But yes, those are things that people have to opt into. Right. Um, and it it depends when you're going to take it. Like I said, for myself, I hadn't toured the hospital yet. I hadn't had my birthing class preparation. I haven't hadn't had any of that because my daughter came so early. And um, are you now aware of the trigger? And is there often a typical trigger for this sort of situation? Well, for myself, I had what help syndrome and preeclampsia. And preeclampsia is extremely high blood pressure, you know, that comes on while you're pregnant. That happens in about 8% of births in the US per year. Of those 8%, about 1% get HELP syndrome. So it's a kind of more rare um, situation. But the triggers, the only, I'll say, prerequisites, right, or high-risk things that I checked the box for was my age. Other than that, 
I didn't have a history of high blood pressure. In fact, my blood pressure was low. Um, you know, I had a healthy lifestyle. Everything that I did was was typical. Mm-hmm. It's just that this and and quite honestly, I had a checkup with my OB six days before my daughter was born, and everything was fine. That's how quickly this came on. And my doctor at the time said to my mother, because my husband happened to be in Europe, he was in Paris for work, said that if I don't take the baby now, we are going to lose them both. That's how quickly in six days something could become deadly. Wow. And I forget the stat you just said. I think it was 1% of another. Of so that still sounds like quite a high number. In, I mean, as, for as many people as there are in the States. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it is still quite a large, uh, quite a large number. Um, and most people don't even know these situations exist. I, I will tell you, I will give probably the one time I'll give Kim Kardashian like a shout out is I had never heard of preeclampsia except for the fact I knew she had it with one of her children. And that's why then she had to use a surrogate thereafter. Other than that, I didn't know anything else about it Mm. and learned about it only after the fact, um, after I had had my daughter. Mm. And are you aware of any sort of similar organizations in, in any other countries? Yes, I am. I am aware of similar organizations. You know, my my first, I'll say, inclination is to focus mainly right here in the States. That's not to say that I wouldn't partner with any um, organizations, because this is a world problem. This mm-hmm. is a global problem. Um, I was recently talking to a woman in Australia about the same about the same thing. So, and the more you can do to help spread the word, the more important that is because help syndrome over around like 30% of women who experience help syndrome, unfortunately pass away. That's huge. Right. right? And in this day and age, we shouldn't have that kind of maternal mortality rate upon birth. Or something so there has to be an awareness about spreading the about spreading the word about this mm. and people have to know the warning signs i happen to just be extremely lucky and feel like i feel like someone was watching over us because we were in the right place at the right time in terms of i went to my doctor and he made it happen within literally i went to my doctor's office at 12 30 my daughter was born at 3 16. It happened very quickly. And I'm lucky. Not Mm -hmm. everyone is so lucky. And so you mentioned about there are organizations in other countries. Have any of them implemented any sort of cooperation with their hospital system, for example, or, or anything along those lines? Well, they do to work with hospitals, but it's more providing, I'll say these gift bags, um, as opposed to peer to peer support. It's about having, you know, the parents reach out to them and then maybe, oh, we'll find someone 
for you who you could talk to. The difference with Flourish is that not only do I offer one-on-one support, I also offer community support, which I think is important too. But I also provide resources where parents can go to help their children once they come home from the hospital. Most people, myself included, I was not aware that my daughter would need physical therapy, occupational therapy, and speech and feeding therapy at three months old. Uh, Those thoughts never crossed my mind. Again, having my daughter in the NICU also never crossed my mind. So all these other specialists and all these other other steps that moms need, or moms and dads, excuse me, need, you can find all of that on Flourish. So would insurance cover all of those costs that you just mentioned? It depends, right, here in the States. So some of it is government funded. So your child has to qualify. That said, even if your child qualifies, it takes a few months for those services to get up and running. In the meantime, those first years, as you know, growth and development is pivotal. So any time wasted it can cause further delay. Mm. So we sought out outside help. And it depends whether those providers are in the EI early intervention system or if they take insurance or not. Hmm. There's, I, again, you know, our insurance system works that it's not universal, not every person, every provider takes insurance. It's up to that provider. Hmm. So a lot of times, myself included, you have to pay out of pocket before maybe submitting it on your own and get re- getting reimbursed. And even at that, a lot of insurance companies have limits and caps and you're constantly fighting to get the services covered. As I say to the people that I speak to, I go, I'm not having my daughter take extra therapy because I feel like it and I think she's having fun and enjoying it. I'd rather her be outside and playing with her friends. Mm but I'm doing this because she needs it. And I have reports that say that she needs it. Mm-hmm. It's just a constant battle. And and I also try and teach parents that you have to advocate for your child. You have to fight for your child because if you're not going to, no one else is going to. So to say we had a, we had a magic wand and their money wasn't an object, well, obviously it is, but. What would be the ideal setup in for this situation to help future parents? I honestly think the ideal setup really depends upon the person themselves. Because as with anything, you might know that you need help, but you have to recognize it and want to get the help. So I think therein lies one barrier to entry. Um But aside from parents working on their own, I think the thing is, is that if insurance companies unilaterally, when it comes to children who are the future of the world, these services should be covered and without a cap on the number. Because clearly, 
with supporting documentation, these children need the extra help. Mm. And it is a huge burden and causes huge stress on parents also in terms of money spent yearly. There are statistics that um, parents of, of NICU children spend in excess in the first five years of life in excess of $30,000 more than full-term babies for all these special uh, services that their children need. Is that, I'm guessing, so this happened, did you say 28 weeks for you? So I'm presuming at 24 weeks, I mean, you mentioned your doctor, as far as he was concerned, everything was fine. There would be nothing that you could have done differently earlier to, to prevent this from happening. So that would be the same for everyone? Yes. I mean, I would say, listen, if you have a history of high blood pressure, if you have, um, if you are overweight, there are certain risk factors and then you are monitored, or I would like to think those moms are getting themselves monitored more regularly. Mm. But again, the disparity in income and resources, some of those people are not getting themselves checked more regularly. Um, but if you were, then then hopefully that specialist, like a maternal fetal medicine specialist, would be monitoring you much more closely. For myself, you know, everything was going along fine mm. and there was nothing I did or didn't do. And I will tell you, even up to this day, I still have that mom guilt and those doubts. Well, what if I didn't this? And what if I didn't that? And I think parent guilt pervades all parents Mm. for a whole host of reasons. Mm. Um, but I think especially when it comes to this, parents really, like I was searching throughout my first, like literally 28 weeks. And I remember saying to my husband, my obese, you know, Dr. Romo said, I could have a drink after I had the amnia. I think I had a glass and a half of wine. Did this happen because of that? Right. Something as innocuous as that, but you start going through every single, everything that has had transpired mm. during your pregnancy to think, but generally speaking, there is nothing to be done to prevent this. And, and I will say for me, my OB had me taking aspirin, baby aspirin every day mm. because I was over 40 when I gave birth. And that was supposed to help with the blood pressure and the blood flow and all of that. But clearly, it, in my case, that wasn't enough. And so looking at it from the other situation, so once this actually happens and the baby is born at whatever number of weeks it is, is the baby more susceptible to certain conditions that I have to be looked at for or checked for certain things? Oh, certainly. And even when the baby comes home, you know, you, we had to go to five different specialty doctors in addition to the pediatrician. Right. And that was after she was looked after and cared for 24-7 for 77 days. Right. So, yes. Now, a lot of those things, depending upon with time, they will grow out of it. But there are also other things that you don't know that they might not grow out of. 
But what you do is you try and put them in the situation to set them up for success. And that's where I think a lot of the mental piece comes in for parents. When your child needs this extra help, I could call it extra love in the classroom setting or maybe going to a different type of school. If your child learns differently, it doesn't really matter as long as they get to the answer. And I think in in this country, at least, we have to really destigmatize that yeah. and and accept that everyone could benefit from a little extra attention in the classroom. For me, I look at it as my daughter's in a class of 12 with four teachers. That's an amazing ratio. Yeah. I wouldn't want my daughter in a class of 20 with one teacher. She wouldn't get any attention and she'd be probably in the corner not enjoying school. But I have have helped guide her so that she could be in a situation where she loves school and she's getting so much attention and they are catering to her. So I think that's a really important piece to educate parents on the different ways to go ahead to help your children. So is she physically smaller than other children of the same age? Actually, no, she's in the 72nd percentile. Um, and, you know, she's on the thinner side, like I think 48th percentile. But her, as with everything, right, it's the trajectory. Her progress has been, has trended in the right direction. And that's really what we look for. Some of her growth and development and her motor planning skills, she's still behind in. But if you look at COVID, right, all children kind of were pushed back a little. It just probably affected my daughter a little bit more because she wasn't getting the full help that she really needed during that time. Right. And uh, is it typical, well, would many children born in this situation not have an after effect in terms of sort of physical size or were you more lucky than others? It it really depends. There are some kids, actually there's this um, now I'll say man who was just, I think the fifth draft pick in the National Football League. Okay. Right, who was born at 28 weeks. Wow. Okay. So it, it really depends. I think it's a whole host of... Right. A whole host of conditions, right? I, I happen to think it's part of it's genetic. Right. Part of it is is luck. And part of it is also, again, putting yourself in that situation or and also being fortunate fortunate enough to be able to maybe go and see a specialist, right? Maybe if your child is on the smaller side, you can go to um, an endocrinologist and get them something to help them grow a little bit more. Uh, so things like that. So it really, really depends. But by and large, especially where it comes to to growth uh, physically, that's something that children catch up with. Um, again, it's more of some of the other uh, pieces that there could be a lag, but you just don't know. And that's why you have to do all of these other things to help them along the way to push them to get up to speed. So, so in many ways, it sounds like what Flourish is doing for parents in this situation is 
kind of helping them to be proactive. It's letting them know all the steps that they can take to prevent things from happening in, in the future. Yes, to the, to the best extent that they can, right? And I tell people it's setting them up for success, however you define success. For me and where my daughter is in her life at this point, I want her to love going to school, enjoy socializing, love playing with her friends. And I think having her in the right environment, which a smaller classroom with more teachers so that there's more support, um, is right for her to help her to succeed. Mm-hmm. Every child is different, but I think for for me, it was more important that she feel comfortable in the environment and want to go to school every day, right. want to get on the school bus. Yeah. A question I always ask people is, what would you, if I asked you for your definition of being proactive around health, what, what comes to mind for you? Well, in this case, when it comes to my daughter, I think it's trying to put myself one step ahead. And... I have, since she was born, I'll say at you know first couple, first year, I was just trying to keep, maybe first two years, I was trying to keep my head up just above water. I felt like I was treading water really the whole time. Since, since then, now it's about thinking ahead. So when she turned two, I thought about her going to school. Right. Now that she is in a school, I'm thinking about kindergarten and grade school and so I'm a year and a little bit ahead of that um, before, but we have to take the steps now for a year and a half from now. Yeah. So it's it's being it's thinking ahead, enjoying the moment, but also thinking ahead of what your child needs. And I I tell parents ask your providers, ask your teachers, ask your doctors, ask your therapists. What do you think? And again, it's not necessarily something that's concrete and written in stone because children change and grow. Well, as adults, we all change and grow every day. Mm. But they know children well enough and have seen kids like, you know, children going through the system now that they'll be able to tell you something similar and what to do. Does anything come to mind in as much as, so I just asked you the question about being proactive. So for people who maybe don't take the time to think about, to be proactive and think about the possible things, what possible dangers are there from being just a reactive to things happening and not having given it any thought? Can you think? Well, of yes, I can. I think, I think if you put your head in the sand or think that things are just going to get better, you're setting yourself up or even more um, chances of being upset down the road. I think these are things that if you can tackle them now, someone is not going to tell you when your child is 10 years old, well, if you did this when they were three, then this wouldn't be an issue. I think if you're actively looking at your child and wanting to be completely transparent, then you're really helping them. Right. Otherwise, I think you're doing your children a disservice mm. without really knowing it because maybe your own head is not in the place to accept that your child might need more help. Mm. 
Are there, to your knowledge, any books on this topic? There are plenty of books written um, by doctors. I one day would love to write one from the parent perspective. There are a lot of children's books written uh, for children to explain to them their birth story and how their birth story is different. But there aren't enough geared towards parents written from the parent perspective. I chose not to read any of the ones from doctors for a few reasons. I didn't want to see maybe milestones or markers that my daughter might not hit at a certain time, which would cause me increased anxiety. But I also take the approach of I don't compare. Everyone is on their own timetable. And this has taught me that even more. And I, again, we have these great providers in her school and also in the medical field that I look to them for help. And that if there's something that's bothering me or I have a question, I turn to them as opposed to a book or Google, so to speak, where you could send yourself down a rabbit hole. Do you do any blog posts or anything such as that? Yes, I do. I do. I write articles um, all the time, published on other people's website and published on my own. I I think it's it's really, really important to do that, at mm. least so that people are aware, again, of certain either pitfalls or challenges. Or also, I tell people, this has helped me reset my life and made me appreciate life. And I celebrate absolutely everything. I'm convinced one of the reasons my daughter is so happy and and cheers people on is because we're always cheering her on. And we're always so celebratory of everything that she does. Uh, and there's a lot of proof about that as well, isn't there? There's a lot of, yeah. Um, so you mentioned about your, your blog. Where can people find the blog? They can find it on my website, uh, which is www.flourish.com, F-L-R-R-I-S-H.com. And so what does Flourish stand for? Flourish stands for, and this goes back to what you were saying about your favorite quote. Um, I believe we are always learning and growing and adapting. And I have read that in plenty of books and incarnations of that in many articles. And flourish is just that, to grow and to evolve. And whatever I would describe my daughter to people when discussing how she's doing, I'll say she's flourishing, she's growing. And so flourish can evolve when she evolves and when I evolve. Right. So flourish to me is this growing living thing that we all do every day. Oh, so it's not an acronym. I was wondering the way it was spelled. I thought they might be right. Okay. Now, you know, in, in today's day and age, people spell things all, yeah. right. I'll say weird or not necessarily grammatically correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and when I was looking for the spelling to get something online, I couldn't get regular flourish right so okay. this is what i could get that was closest but i love it just the way that it is anyway <laughs> right okay i i i we touched upon books before and i asked you a question about books 
So, and obviously I've already preempted you with this. So is there a book that comes to mind that any time in your life has, has moved you for any reason? I think a book that, it, and it's a business book, it's called Good to Great. Okay. And not necessarily for the the business part of it, but I think more about how it applies to just life in general, about how you want to pass along like the values, like the core values of a business from one CEO to another. Mm. But the, that could be translated into your own family unit, right. how you teach, how you do things as a, as a family, as a parent, and how that translates to your child to help try and steer them in the most positive type of way. Right. And when was it you first read them? I read that book about 15 years ago. Okay. And so, have you, you revisited it? Yes, yes, I have um, for certain things, uh, you know, as it applies to my life. But I first read it 15 years ago um, when I was doing something in business and it was suggested to me that I read it, that I read it, excuse me. And I did. And like I said, it really does apply to all aspects of life, but it follows a case study in business. But to me, you could apply it to so many different things. And just to check, you are referring to the book by Jim Collins, isn't it? Yes. Right. Okay. Okay, Jody, it's been been a pleasure. Before before we finish, um, as I said, I always always finish on on the quotation that that comes to mind for whatever reason. So, what would that be for you? Right now, I'm thinking of, believe it, Rocky Balboa when he says to um, his son, "It's not that you fall down; it's how you get back up." And I think, again, that applies to all aspects of life where none of us has a life that's just smooth as silk completely. We all have challenges um, that we have to undertake. And I think it's how you handle yourself as a person, how resilient you are and take that experience and learn and grow from it really helps transform the rest of your life from that moment, mm. as opposed to taking it in and just accepting whatever has happened. I choose to focus and make lemonade out of the situation and turn it into something positive. Right. Acknowledge, acknowledge the lemons of it and process that. But then when it comes out, make it into lemonade. That quote has just reminded me, and I, and I wonder whether this song was a hit in the States. There was a, I think it was in the early 90s, there was a big song in England called I Get Knocked Down, But I Get Up Again. Oh, yes, yes, yes. By those big guys, their bald head, I could picture. Chumba Wumba. Yes. <laughs> exactly, exactly. That's what it is, right? It's how you get back up and put one foot in front of the other every okay. single day. Well, Jody, it's been an absolute pleasure and I'm sure there'll be, well, I think many people will benefit from this. And as you said, we're helping to spread the word. So yeah, thank you. I really appreciate it. Thanks so much, Tony. Next week, episode 235 with Dr. Sonia Chubb. She's an 
endodontists. That's not easy to say. And we discuss about dental health through root canals, and she explains that endodontists specialize in root canals and saving teeth. While most general dentists only receive minimal root canal training, root canals become necessary when bacteria infects the tooth's nerve through cavities, cracks, trauma. And she debunks the myths that root canals are toxic or ineffective and explains that when done properly, they allow natural bone regeneration. She emphasizes the importance of regular dental checkups to catch issues early and the importance of proper brushing and flossing and not ignoring warning signs like swelling. And she talks about being proactive dental off by seeing issues early, maintaining daily habits like flushing and saving natural teeth through procedures like root canals when possible. So that's next week, episode 235 with Dr. Sonia Chopra. If you enjoyed this week's episode, why not share it with someone who would get some value from it? Please do leave us a review, subscribe, and most of all, have a great week.